Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of The Verge.biz. It's a new, no, it's a new thing. You know, can I tell you a story? Oh, I can't tell the story because I'll, I'll dox the person. But w- w- a can, long time ago. You can change the name. I can't because it's the story about a domain name. So uh, I have to change. I'll yeah. try to change the domain name. A long time ago when I was a lawyer, I was up against, it's like in a case, and the other attorney, her email address was at attorney.biz, something attorney.biz. And I was like, I'm going to win. Like the second <laughs> I got the first email, I was like, I got this. <laughs> it was like a very clear. Did you it was win? super. I won. Okay. Oh, we, I mean, we yeah. settled. Okay. There's technically not a winner mm. in a settlement. Everyone By the way, The Verge.biz is registered. It goes to a landing site. Please don't go to The Verge.biz. Go to The Verge.com. Or if you'd like, bone.zone. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, uh, I'm Eli Patel. I'm here. You are listening to me. You've been listening to Dieter. There he is. You've also heard yep. Ashley Carmen's voice. Hello. And you've heard Jay Kastrakis' voice. Hello. There he is. I actually don't know if I've spoken yet. I think I laughed. <laughs> at one point. True Verge fans I, I will be able to identify your laugh. by the story. Uh, you've heard Jake chuckle, but he's here. Paul Miller, sadly, is sick. Also, I believe it's his birthday, so he's not here. We do not. Is Paul's birthday today? That's, there was like a rumor floating around that oh, it's his birthday. Dang. I have not verified I, this yeah. rumor. What? He's sick on his birthday. That's really it's sad. It's really sad. I just want to make it clear that we do not run the sort of workplace where you have to fake being sick to take a day off on your birthday. <laughs> but I'm thinking about changing our policy such that that is the case. Anyway, uh, we're here. Happy birthday, Paul, if it is indeed your birthday. Who knows? Again, I haven't checked. <laughs> I'm a bad friend. I'm looking. Uh, no, Paul is sick. Are you looking? I Googled Paul Miller B-Day. Can we have Paul call in just to answer this? He's sick. He's not that sick. <laughs> Yeah, I l- actually did see I, Paul. Yeah, he was literally he walking was here, around here. But he said, I'm not here. And I was like, you're yeah. here. All right. Again, this is all dead air. Andrew, Look, I think I, we should cut this part of it. Back to the show. I can tell you, I know that it is Paul's birthday because it is impossible to remove birthday calendars from every single calendar app on the planet. And it is the bane of my existence. And according to the birthday calendar that I am unable to disable, it is, in fact, Paul Miller's birthday. Happy birthday, Paul. Everyone tweeted Paul. He's at Future Paul. He's available on Twitter. Just tweet him some wishes, and hopefully that will help him uh, heal his his sick body. Is that a phrase? It's not a phrase. Look, there was not a lot of news this week. You may have noticed by the extending va- extended vamping that we don't have a lot to talk about. But there is some stuff. First, I just want to point this out. Uh, the trailer for the next Pacific Rim movie came out. It's called Pacific Rim Uprising. It is the most important thing in my life at this moment <laughs> because it invites you to join some sort of Jaeger army, and that is my dream. I'm just putting it out there. Were you not a battle mech person? I did not see the original Pacific Rim. Oh, my God. Jake, get out of here. <laughs> uh, T- what, tell me you're sick. Take a day off. Why should I be watch. excited about the Pacific Rim 2? The first— you, Upri- well, Battle you, Uprising. The f- well, <laughs> there's so many reasons. The first movie is perfect. <laughs> it's like robots fighting in the ocean yes. or something, right? One, oh. the answer is yes, and two, the answer is an emphatic yes. <laughs> uh, yes, it's giant robots fighting in the ocean, fighting monsters in the ocean. That actually sounds all right. Yeah. Dieter, I'm assuming you were like a battle mech person, because I was a deep battle mech person. So there's two schools of uh, battle mechs. There is the school from whence Pacific Rim comes, which is the, the classic Japanese battle mech. Yeah. You know, Robotech, like that that line and that's like power rangers are sort of in that zone and voltron also honestly belongs in that zone so that's like the very classic 
line that everybody thinks of. I am not of that lineage. I am a battle tech <laughs> yeah. guy, which is a very American style of battle mechs. I had these um, video games. Involves, I know it's up. It involves, well, the video games came second. <laughs> OG battle tech people had hexagon maps and little tiny miniatures and turn-based things and sheets that laid out all the specs and stats and powers and guns and armor of their battle mechs uh, with tiny little, I kid you not, in order to like fill in your armor, there were little tiny bubble sheets that you had to fill in with pencils as though it were an SAT <laughs> test. Yeah, I just played the video And it games. was a turn-based strategy game. Yeah. Uh, and then there was also Mech Warrior, which was the role playing game in which you could be the character that piloted the battle mechs. Mech Warrior um, Two is the game thing. I had for my Mac, and it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a I canonical Mech Warrior RPG. I think it's Dieter is cooler than I am. I think we've made this extremely clear. <laughs> Mech Warrior Two, think, one of the best video games. I think of all time. Actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> just to be clear, <laughs> Ashley, did you were you a Pacific Rim person or, or BattleTech person? I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Both of you need to leave this place and go watch that first movie. <laughs> it is great. I vaguely remember an ocean when I saw just when yeah, I heard I, about the first. Pacific. We're done. Okay. We're done with this whole thing because it's <laughs> making me sad. Okay, there's real news to talk about. Actually, this blew up our day today. This is a real thing that happened. Elon Musk just randomly tweeted, based on nothing specific that we can find. I just got verbal approval to build a tunnel for a hyperloop between New York, Baltimore, and DC. New York to DC in 29 yep. minutes. A lot going on here. Okay, can I just yeah. say, <laughs> love the hyperloop. Super excited. I've noticed it continues to get longer and longer, and yet there is still zero Hyperloop. <laughs> like, he, he went from, from nothing to, what if I go across multiple states? Yeah, this is would be the world's like, longest yeah. tunnel. This is... And so we just, like, chatted with somebody in the White House, and they were like, yeah, Presumably Elon, that Jared Kushner. Good. Yeah. Uh, JJ, we call him. So it seems like he just went to the White House, had a chat with Jared Kushner, and then Jared Kushner was like, yeah, sure, that sounds sweet. And now, apparently, this like, that's not The White House, like, kind of confirmed it today, too. But, like, does the White House have the power to, like, authorize a, like, massive interstate tunnel system? I'm not, I mean, I guess they do stuff with the highways. They they made an author. Can they do 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 underground? I think there's Uh, a lot that... First of all, this is my favorite take on this. It's Matt Iglesias at Vox. And he goes, I think, because the tunnel would have to go through New Jersey, but it would never stop in New Jersey, (laughs) right? Because you would just go to three cities. He's like, I don't think New Jersey is going to be super pumped about everyone just skipping New Jersey. (laughs) Like, dig up most of New Jersey so you can just get by it as fast as any human has ever traveled across New Jersey. So that's like a first problem. I don't know if the federal government. It's another Chris Christie snub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they yeah. verbally approved the yeah. hyperloop just they, as true they, as they, Chris Yeah, no, but it, it, I'm sure Elon had to stop there, and they're like, "It's not not happening." Yeah. <laughs> then there's the city. So Ashley, you pointed out, like you're gonna have to yeah, dig I, up New I York City. I don't understand how they're gonna dig up New York City. Yeah, like maybe Baltimore. Fine. Well, no, they're gonna do it. <laughs> uh, this actually relates <laughs> to the year conversation. Huh? They're gonna do it by digging very, very deep, and that's when the monsters come out. Like the. the the Elon kaiju. Musk is going to discover a Balrog. Yeah. That's I mean, so he's been digging up the parking lot at SpaceX. This is a true fact <laughs> with his new company, the Boring the Company. <laughs> he's, I will like po- a, he's like an eight-year-old boy. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm digging a tunnel. I will, Yay. I will say to you 
There have been many reports. I'm not even, this is not a joke. I'm not exaggerating. This is not a story. There have been many reports that parking is already quite bad at SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've heard it from people. Uh, I think it's funny that Elon Musk was like, whatever. Like, I'm going to dig up the parking lot just to prove I have this tunnel company called the Boring Company. He also doesn't really own a Hyperloop company. Yeah, wait. So is the Boring Company supposed to be creating this tunnel slash Hyperloop? Yes. No, no. So there. They- so he said he. Remember, he okay. released the Hyperloop as like an open source set of like plans, and yet it does not actually exist. There, there are some test Hyperloops. Like, like Hyperloop One is like right. running sleds in a tube in the desert. They're not no vacuums yet. No vacuums yet. They're just like proving that that trains and tubes. They could build a train. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, They've so gotten that far. E- Elon has a, a hypothetical, like, transportation system, a hypothetical tunnel building company, and, like, hypothetical approval right now. I feel now. like tunnel building is not hypo- – like, tunnels exist. His claim is that he can dig a tunnel faster he's than anybody else. He's a tunnel in a parking lot. That's all he's done. <laughs> <laughs> he does that. Like, Wait, I'm sorry. When was the last time you dug a tunnel in a parking lot? I, the man of a parking the, lot. The man's Give me flying a rockets. Sure can... the, they're landing. The cars are driving themselves. Th- that's he's completely just different on. technology. All it, right. It is okay. Fair. It's a different technology, but you know you gotta give him the benefit of the doubt. I do wonder. Okay, it's like, does he actually just have unlimited money? Like, uh, who can waste money on digging tunnels in a parking lot for like a hobby? Like, he's not. <laughs> is he planning on turning these things into business? It can't be like that much money. It's your own parking lot. Yes. I don't know. I, do, I I'm just out there with a shovel all the time. <laughs> just like I'm doing this, but it's a good idea. It's a great idea. Infrastructure, yeah. trains, excellent. Love it. But he did have he did tweet I got verbal approval, which is just not how it works, for better or worse. Like getting the, the thumbs up from like a Trump family <laughs> member is not how you embark on a giant. They're very good project. at sticking to promises. <laughs> uh, and then he like slowly walked it back. There was another tweet where he said they're excited about it, still many approvals to go. Get excited, and it feel he said. He, I think he said, "Get excited," uh, and it feels like what he was doing was now everybody's all amped up about this project because the, the Northeast mm. Corridor is like Amtrak's most important line. He's got everybody all amped up about it. Now people are going to want it, so he can like go, for example, to the state of New Jersey and say, "No one wants to come here anyway. Just let me through because I got the tweets. Look at all these retweets, Chris." Which I believe is how politics in New Jersey works. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. But I think it's exciting. It's like the most exciting thing I think that happened this week. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea of traveling thirty minutes to DC from New York is exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's good news. I'd do that, it's and fun. it's going to stop right at the Observer Building, and Jared Kushner is going to get on it all by himself. That's yeah. why he wants it. Exactly. He just wants to get. It's going to go directly from the White House to Trump Tower. Mm-hmm. Just I didn't even think about that. Shot. If he just like pitches it as like. Keep it exclusive to the Trump family for a year. Have them, you know. <laughs> they have a plane. They have the best plane. They have Air Force One. Yeah. Do you think that I can do, do it in half an hour? I mean, Air Force One's capabilities are technically classified. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet they, I bet they can't. I bet it's not actually a secret. Probably they just have air to land and go through security. I'm sure they have to do some sort of stuff. That's true. All right. We should talk about much more mundane things. There's voice assistant news in this world, Dieter. <sighs> That's yes. your favorite. 
Uh, so Bixby <sighs> basically launched. Is that the, the, the long and the short of it? Yeah. The voice assistant is a thing that you can have. Uh, it's rolling out in the U.S. Samsung Samsung to all over the launch of this thing by delaying it. And then by they they added like hashtags to the description of the two, the, the male and female voices that you can get from Bixby. Completely unnecessary, by the way. I don't know if you need a hashtag to describe a voice to you when you're picking one. Yeah. But for the the male voice, they said it was assertive. Um, and for the female voice, I believe they said it was uh, chipper. Yeah. Which, that's super not a good look, Samsung. That's such um, an unforced error. There's, it's a totally unforced there's error. no reason. Like you didn't need the hashtags. Right. And then and but, then the thing itself yeah. is like kind of broken. Right. Yeah. So Dan wrote a really good piece uh, that it, it really reminds him of old Samsung. We're talking like S5 Samsung, where it makes blips and bloops and is just, it's like software for software's sake. Um, the fact that it's not only is it tied to that button and you can't remap that button, but Samsung is actively and aggressively shutting down any attempts to circumvent the hard pairing of the Bixby button to Bixby. And so that's annoying. And it just, you know, it doesn't work. It The, the whole point of Bixby is uh, you can talk to your phone interface rather than tap on your phone interface, uh, but it can't quite get there. And I feel like it's to get a voice assistant to work, you don't have to get 100% there because nobody's there yet. But you got to get to like 60 and they're not at 60. And so it's the, the same thing that happened in the early days of Siri where people are like, oh, well, this doesn't work. But it's way less acceptable now because you could just go use something else like Google Assistant or, you know, Alexa. Apparently, in the Alexa. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. if you could remap the button on the side to open the Amazon app and then talk to Alexa, that would be more useful. Yeah, but you you can't. I don't. Dan had a great line that's like Samsung software bloat has now manifested in hardware bloat, which is yeah brutal. But I love it. I just i i don't i i, I don't want to just say Samsung sucks. Samsung software sucks. I do actually because Dan, you know, he went to China and like wrote the big feature about like the scope of their ambition here. And so I want to give Samsung even now, even when this thing is launched and is like not really that good yet. I want to give Samsung the benefit of the doubt and the space to try and innovate and create its own ecosystem and try and innovate on in the idea of a human software interface through voice. Like Those are all genuinely good ideas. The challenge for Samsung is how do you get those genuinely good ideas out in the world when you know the first iteration is going to be uh, not that great? And how do you manage around that? And I feel like they've just done a pretty terrible job of setting expectations, explaining to users what it can and can't do, and putting it in a context that like actually makes people feel delighted by it and not disappointed by it. If, if Bixby were like a an optional thing on the button and you could turn it on if you want, you could turn it off if you want, and like you could say, hey Bixby, whenever, um, and it were, but it were not so core to the identity of the phone, um, then there they would end up building a small group of people who really were into it, it wouldn't grow as fast. It wouldn't be as splashy, but then they could work out some bugs for a while. They kind of did this with the early access program, but I don't know that, that they could have spent longer doing that. I, I think is sort of my take. They should have launched this thing without hard mapping it to the button. They would yeah. have had a bunch of people like refuse to use it and that would have sucked for them. 
But on the other hand, people would have put it in a context where they were happy with what they got instead of disappointed with what they got. That's true. I think Bixby is one of those Samsung things where two years from now, it will be in a settings menu that you can turn on. But other than that, it'll be yeah. on. And that's like the worst. Yeah. Like, they got to stop doing that to people. Were you going to say something? No. No, you're just hanging out. Yeah, I'm chilling. Right, cut that I'm out. Think, I'm thinking about Bixby in washing machines. And yeah, every, that's terrifying. And their, their smart fridge. Because they are already doing that in Korea. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, your assistant sucks and you're forcing it upon people with their refrigerators. Yeah. The number of things Samsung wants to put Bixby in is like terrifying considering that Dan, Dan's experience with it, as he wrote in his piece, is it mostly gets it wrong. Like it gets it wrong so often that I don't want it controlling anything with a heating element in my home. Like that seems terrifying. <laughs> Um, yeah. Sears, but I don't know if you saw this is like totally adjacent news, but Sears is basically, they have a line of appliances, the Kenmore line. They've only sold them in Sears stores, selling them through Amazon now. So the idea of buying a washing machine on Amazon, insane. That just seems like something you should buy in a store and not just like push a button online, but so it goes, but they're all going to be Alexa enabled, like all of the Kenmore appliances on Amazon. So this is happening, yeah. whether or not we want it to happen. There was also the thermostat this week with Cortana. That thermostat mm. looks like a piece of garbage. Yeah. It's from it's see-through. I like it. No. I think it looks awesome. It looks like uh, it's made by Johnson Controls, a partnership with Microsoft. Just go look at it. It looks like it, it – I don't know how to say this. I think Virtual listeners might understand what I mean when I say this. It looks like the software is slow. You know that thing where you like touch it and nothing happens? <laughs> it just it, every I looked at it, I was like, it's cool, it's clear, the screen's trying to and I was like, I bet when you touch it, it's slow. That is immediately what I thought when I saw it. And I don't know why, but I, I encourage you to look at it. But there's the thing, like once you've look, all I once know you've is, seen uh, enough displays. A very, <laughs> a very reputable uh technology journalism brand in their headline about this uh thermostat called it quote-unquote beautiful, and I agree with The Verge when its headline says that this is a beautiful thermostat. I think it looks great. I'm feeling that I'm when you put that I, in I, your I agree house, it looks slow, but like... I, 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 I feel like, like it's trying to look like kind of futuristic, and I have a feeling it's going to look really tacky in a home. And be slow. I'm just going to point out again that the worst part of that is I don't know slow. how you're judging the slowness right now. I'm, I mean... It just looks like it will be... First of all, it runs Windows. And I don't mean to, like, right? Like, three years from now, the Customized thing is buggy. Customized Windows for thermostats. It's, this is <laughs> yeah, Windows 10T. It's, like, literally called, like, Windows 10T. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Three years from now, you're, like, thermostat is, like, has ransomware on it. It's a God. little loaded down. Not to. Windows is great. Everyone loves Windows. <laughs> so is your washing machine going to be Bixby? Your thermostat going to be Cortana? Yeah, and this is the your endless, echo is your Alexa. This is the endless problem, and I. This is why I think Amazon will yeah. just slowly win because they'll have thirty-five dollar dots sitting in everyone's house, and people would prefer to buy the one that works with the thing they have. Also, I think the question about well, where the microphones Andy go. This is Andy Rubin's big bet: is that he's going to solve this problem with Essential. That's the whole point of Essential and him making a home speaker, home whatever the heck the thing is. I bet I could ship an Android phone coming. faster than Andy <laughs> yeah, Rubin has shipped an Android phone right now. <laughs> We should that's we should yeah. race Andy Rubin. Let's send Dan back to China. You can put a phone <laughs> together like a day there. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll just ship We got it. We'll ship five thousand Android phones <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Go to store.theverge.com. You can pre-order now. 
You can back our Kickstarter. As you know, no, nothing is guaranteed. Just please give us some money. We've already been talking to tier one manufacturers. What's, that's how every Kickstarter video ends. Yeah, We've got all much. our designs done. We're talking to tier one manufacturers. We just need your help. We just need your help. To beat Andy Rubin to market with an Android phone. <laughs> all right. So here's what we're going to do. Um, as you know, next level, Lauren Good's show is going on. Uh, I talked to her about this episode. It's really interesting. It's about what Dolby is doing to measure your emotions while you watch movies and TV shows. It's wild. So I to Lauren about that. That's going to happen for 10 minutes. I'm going to read an ad. We're going to come back. We'll talk about some other things. Here is Lauren. Hey, Lauren. How are you? Hey, Neelai. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm talking to you about your show again. So everybody, this is Lauren Good, the host of Next Level with Lauren Good. I like saying your name at the beginning and end of that phrase. It makes me happy. But uh, you just did your second episode. Yes. It just published earlier this week on TheVerge.com, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and as I said before, directly into your brain. And uh, we're really excited because this one was a little different from last week. Last week's was all about planes. It was about modular planes, and it got this wild response. And this week, we talked about Hollywood. (laughs) Well, I mean, so the the conceit of your show is that there's what we see – and then there's iterative development of what we see. So, like, every year phones get a little bit better, and we're all used to the world of iterative development, but there's stuff happening in research labs that's, like, next-level technology. And so you're, you're looking at the next level of Hollywood stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, we were looking to highlight some of the concepts, innovations, crazy, bizarre prototypes things that are in beta, things that are happening that maybe you haven't heard about yet or really seen or experienced. Um, because like you said, like other stuff that we cover is wonderful and we love gadgets, but sometimes can be a little bit iterative. So in this case, um, it's kind of a funny story. I was at Dolby months ago now, Dolby Labs in San Francisco, because they were having this kind of press tour day and it was pegged to the launch of Iron Fist. I don't know how many of you have watched the Netflix series Iron Fist. There was some controversy around it. I don't think it did very well, but there was this big like two day. I suffered through all of Iron Fist. You watched all of it? I feel like you should I mean, get a it's, medal. It's in that. like HDR. It's available. It was real pretty on my TV, and I suffered through all of it. Well, that's exactly it. HDR. So it was Dolby that mastered Iron Fist after the fact. And so we were being taken on this press tour through Dolby Labs a few months back. And we walked by this room, and there was a woman sitting on a couch in this lab, and she was wearing an EEG cap. I don't know if you know what an EEG cap is, but it's an electroencephalogram cap that has all these little nodes on it, and those nodes are measuring your brain activity, essentially. So this woman's sitting on a couch wearing this crazy-looking cap that looks like something straight out of the Matrix. She's got all kinds of sensors on galvanic skin response sensors, heart rate sensors. There's a FLIR camera pointed at her. And we were like, what is happening in here? And Dolby said, this is this project that we've been working on. So... For next level, we went back, and by we, I mean me and uh, Verge video directors, and we shot an episode inside this crazy biophysical lab at Dolby. So what what do they do? Like, do they you you watch that you watch videos and like you measure your response? Like, how how does it work? Yes. So the whole idea is that as the subjects are sitting in this lab, they're watching movies and TV shows presumably ones that Dolby has mixed and mastered, um, but maybe not. And they are, the scientists at Dolby are measuring the emotional responses that people are having 
to this content. And the whole lab is run by this really, really smart woman named Poppy Crum. She's a neuroscientist, but excuse me, she's actually, I think, a neurophysiologist, but like if it was, if she wasn't so great and smart, like I feel like Poppy Crumb would definitely be like a good villain name, like a children's book character, or like a children's book character, yeah. But she's yeah. running the lab, and and they're just they have all these subjects that are coming through, and they're they're trying to figure out what at what point do people do their heart rates, you know, increase? At what point do people start sweating? At what point do people uh, feel aroused or excited. And they're taking all of that data and they're able to then tell their Hollywood partners that they do the mixing and mastering for, we know that people will have this type of biophysical response to these types of scenes, color palettes, sounds, uh, HDR. It's kind of crazy. And it's, I mean, it's not altogether surprising because the more I started digging, the more I realized that a lot of entertainment companies are starting to do this um, and they mm-hmm. want to better understand people's emotional responses to content. But it was kind of cool to just get into the lab myself and try it out. Yeah. I mean, one of the first times I ever saw Dolby Vision, which is their HDR format demoed, like two or three years ago now is at CES. And the person demoing it to me literally said, we know that we're going to play an explosion for you and your body, it's so bright, your body will perceive it as heat. And he's like, just watch. And I played the explosion. I was like, wow, I feel warm. He's like, yeah, you're not actually warm. Like, it's just so bright that we can make you feel heat. And it seems like they've taken that idea all the way out. Yes, they know now that your body is conditioned to feel warm when it sees that level of heat. And there, I mean, there are just a few different things sort of going into... sort of going into play there. The first is that they have the sensors or the types of cameras now to track that, right? So in this case, they might be using the FLIR thermal imaging camera to see that your face or your cheeks or whatever might actually be flushing. Um, The second is that we have screens now. We're looking at things on screens that are bright enough to get even closer to reality. So I think that the metric Dolby used to describe it as 20,000 candelas per square meter uh, in terms of how bright the screens get. I mean, some, you know, technologists will say nits, others will say candelas. Um, they're like some, you know, variation of the same of the same metric. But they're basically saying the screens we have now are so bright that it can make you feel like this is this is reality. So you've got this hyper-realistic content, you've got these super bright screens, and you have the biometric you know, cameras or sensors now to measure that this is actually happening, which is pretty, it's this kind of confluence of, of things, right? Like, and at the verge, I feel like we're talking about sensors all the time. We're talking about wearables, we're talking about fingerprint sensors, we're talking about facial recognition. Like we're talking about all these things that are built into like all of the products that, we now have. But when you think about that confluence of things that like these sensors are now really accessible, they're actually pretty cheap. The more interesting thing is actually what are people starting to do with all this data that we can gather from them? Yeah. So one of the, uh, I don't want to give it away, but everyone should go watch the video, but you Pixar scientists are like using this to design their movies. Yes. One of the anecdotes that a lot of people really liked in the videos is uh, when Poppy Crumb says how she was working with the Pixar uh, lead image scientist. And when they were doing the color for the movie Inside Out, there's a scene where a baby is born and the baby is born and there's this, to use Poppy's words, a diffuse white screen that sort of takes over, you know, fills, fills the screen, fills the frame. And um, that that was a very conscious choice because the image scientists said 
we want people to feel physiological pain. That's what happens when a baby's born. You feel physiological pain. And so what sort of color pattern or color scheme can we use here that will make people feel that in some way, whether they are conscious of it or not? It's kind that's of crazy, crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, on some level, that's what when you're going to the movies or you're watching a show or even if you're doing something like going to some crazy VR installation on a roller coaster, I don't know. I think about like all those people sitting in that giant Samsung installation at CES who are just like <laughs> being yanked around while they're wearing VR yeah. headsets um, and probably getting very nauseous. But like when you participate in anything like that, you are going for entertainment. You're going for an intensified human experience. And maybe on some level you're kind of expecting to be manipulated. You know, you're expecting like to escape yeah. in some way. Um, but this is like, this is like next level. We can use these imaging and sound tools to manipulate the way you feel. Um, and it's just, everything is, you know, can now be sort of engineered to do it before like the color, you know, film directors have used certain color palettes for decades. Now that's like very well known and in film, film school, they'll teach this stuff and effective computing is something that's been studied for decades. But like now these companies are getting so good at it at such a granular level that things can actually be engineered to trigger a reaction. So you got to try it, right? You wore the cap and it measured you. What was that like? That was a little bit anticlimactic to be honest. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, go watch the video. But it was Anticlimactic at that part, uh, because because what, what's happening is they're showing you your data on these giant screens that are in the Dolby Lab, and so I could sit there and I could see my own thermal image. I found out that my armpits were very sweaty, by the way, because it will. I mean, it will show things like armpit sweat and like chest sweat. Yeah. It's you know, it can be a little mortifying, um, and then. And then I could see, you know, my heart rate spiking and things like that. But that's all the raw, unprocessed data. I mean, Dolby is going to take all of that data that they're getting from all the subjects that are sitting there, and they're going to process it, and they're going to analyze it. And so I didn't really have the chance to do that. All I could see was, okay, there's my there's my heart rate, right? There are the spikes and the dips mm -hmm. and like sort of the same stuff that you would see if you were just like looking at your heart rate from a wristwatch reading or something like that. Um, so that part was like a little bit anticlimactic, but I would love... To, I, I mean, and what we were watching, too, were these kind of preformed clips, these, you know, clips of fire and things that Dolby had, like, determined were good for a demo. Um, but, like, I would love to sit and watch an entire two-hour movie, especially if it was in some type of giant movie theater where there's a lot of sound, you know, great sound, surround sound, yeah. 3D sound, and maybe you're, like, your seat is shaking and, like, or whatever it might be, and, like, actually have, actually understand at what points I was, like... I don't know, I guess reacting for lack for lack of a better term, having an emotional response. It feels as though part of the the idea here is to figure out how the experience of being in a theater where all the Dolby stuff is happening, right? Dolby makes the sound systems, they make the surround sound, they make the you know, the the the, the screen technologies versus being at your house with, you know, Dolby Vision in, in your soundbar or whatever. It it feels like part of the Part of the cell here, to call it a cell, is that they can create more of those experiences in the theater and they're going to amplify those in a way that you can't get at home because that that's like a big part of the industry. I don't you see Chris Christopher Nolan this week was like, I'm not going to do Netflix because I believe in the theater window and I want to put my movies in the theaters. There's a there's like a piece of this where the technology they need to actually affect your emotions in that way, like you're talking about, like in the theater with big screen, tons of speakers, versus what they can do at home is it's going to start splitting ever more, right? And I think that's fascinating. If you want to get the most intense experience, you have to go to this place that can 
always do something that is very hard to do at home. Yeah, absolutely. And I say this as a man with Adobe Vision TV and like 500 speakers. <laughs> right, like, because you're a speaker hound. Yeah, we've talked about your speaker addiction <laughs> before. I'm going to watch movies at your house next time. Uh, yeah, 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 I mean, that makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense that any company at this point that is using biosensors to gather data that proves um, something that they would want to prove something that benefits their core competency. So for Adobe, that is, you're exactly right. It's getting people into theaters or convincing them that that intensified human experience can only happen with Dolby tools in a Dolby theater with Dolby surround sound, right? Like that, it makes perfect yeah. sense. I mean, we, one of the things that we mentioned in the piece too is when you look at companies like Netflix and Hulu, they're also using biosensors in some capacity, but they're using them, they're using eye trackers specifically when they're doing testing for their app redesigns. So they're saying, okay, well, we see as people are looking at our, our app, their eyes are going over here instead of over there. Or they keep having to move their eyes back and forth as they look through a menu option or look at a thumbnail. And so they're using it to inform how are people engaging with their app because at the end of the day, getting people into their app and to use their app and to stream stuff from their app is the most important thing. Whereas Dolby is using it because they're like, hey, you should really be using Dolby technology to amplify your movie or TV show experience. Um, so all these biosensors are being used in, in different ways. Um, but ultimately, it's, it, it comes down to this thing where it's a little bit creepy because they are being used to affect us in ways that we might not be fully aware of. Uh, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit before, like uh, when you were editing the episode I've been thinking about you saying that for a while, and it just what strikes me is like the point of art is to manipulate you, right? Like if you're the artist, you're aiming to have some people feel some way when they view your work. And I don't know how I feel about being able to quantify that. So it's less about your instincts and your expression as an artist, and it's more about I want people to feel sad, and I can dial in these settings on the screen for maximum sadness. I think there's something really interesting there. I don't know if we have enough time to fall down that total rabbit hole, but it's it's a really fascinating thing to to puzzle over after, of course, you have gone and watched Next Level with Lydia. <laughs> yes, you should go watch it. After we've talked yeah. about it for the past 15 minutes or so, you just go watch it. Yeah, you've heard us describe the images, and now go look at the images. Um, so before we go real quick, You've got another episode coming out. Give the people a tease on that one. Oh, I love giving the people a tease. Uh, so <laughs> next week <laughs> uh, of our videos. Next week on Tuesday, uh, that's going to be July 25th, we are publishing an episode that's about prescription video games. Uh, we're fascinated by this. Video games have, of course, gotten a little bit of a bad rap over the past few decades since they've been mainstream. Uh, people have been concerned about their impact on potential impact on aggressive or violent behavior, how they impact child development if someone's young in their formative years and they're sitting there playing video games all day, all of that. Um, there's a group of scientists here in San Francisco and actually in an offshoot company in Boston that are focused entirely on developing running trials on and possibly pushing through for FDA approval prescription video games that would boost your cognitive abilities in some way. And so we went to their labs, we played some of the games, we interviewed a lot of people for this for this uh, video and we're really we're really interested um, I should say we're really excited to show it to you. Yeah, I think this episode in particular is one of the most interesting and challenging of all of the things that you've looked at. And one thing that you've said repeatedly about the show is next level tech is a little bit dangerous. It's a little bit challenging. And I think 
you know, in a way that iterative, you know, tablet software improvements just aren't. But like, this is like really meaningfully challenging and potentially a little bit dangerous as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, especially when you see me trying to walk on one of those Omni Virtuix platforms while wearing a VR headset, you understand the danger, the actual physical danger <laughs> of me uh, possibly falling <laughs> off this crazy little treadmill with a VR headset on. Uh, it was one of the few times I have felt I had to take the I had to take the headset off because I was feeling pretty nauseous. So wow. Okay, well, let's not give it all away. That's next week. It's coming out on Tuesday. Everywhere your mind can wander on the internet, just look for it, and you'll find it and watch it uh, and share it, of course. Uh, and Lauren, it was great to have you back on the show. We'll, we'll have you next week. We'll talk about prescription video games. It was great to be on The Vergecast. Thanks, everyone. See ya. This episode of The Vergecast brought to you by Squarespace. Whatever your next big idea might be, count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings it to life. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. You can even get a unique domain name, which strengthens your brand and makes it easier for visitors to find you. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content with the click of a mouse, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. But if you do have a question, there's award-winning 24-7 customer support that can help you with any problem, no matter how technical or trivial. It's like your very own IT department. So make your next move. Start your free trial at squarespace.com today. And the offer code is, I'm sure you know, is Verge, V-E-R-G-E. You get 10% off your first purchase. That is squarespace.com. The offer code is Verge. We're back. Welcome. Can we talk about Alexa on Android phones real quick? We can wrap that yeah. up. I know we should have kept it in the voice assistant section. Um, so the, the news you didn't see it. <laughs> the very well-defined voice assistant yeah. section of our show today. Uh, Alexa is coming to every Android phone in the, the form of like an option inside the Amazon shopping app, which is surreal to me. Like, why isn't it a separate app? Google made Google Assistant a separate app. Um, maybe it makes it more likely that people use it. Maybe they just threw it in there. But... It shows to me that like the Amazon shopping app is basically the like you can buy stuff equivalent of Facebook's what do they call it their big blue app what what's their yeah. they got some nickname for it the big blue app yeah they just throw stuff in there um, which is funny because Android has an accommodation where you can like actually choose your voice assistant on uh, on you know most phones that don't hide that from you uh, they could have done that Cortana has done that on a few few different uh, phones. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, am I going to open up the Amazon shopping app to use Alexa? No. Do I hang out in the Amazon shopping app enough that I'm like, oh, hey, Alexa's here. I can use that since I'm I mean, already here. Would you, uh, if, uh, say you have like a whole bunch of home automation stuff set up and now you're on the go and you need to, I don't know, turn your lights on or some for some reason. I can't right. really <laughs> foresee why you would need to do that. But right, if you need to control something at home in your way, uh, I know that's your gateway to do it. I'm not. I don't actually think a lot of people are going to open up the, the Amazon app and use this. But I mean, that's how it works. In the iPhone. Why is it's it in, in the, the Amazon, Amazon app, app and the iPhone? Why is I, it I in think the Amazon a, app? I don't Why think anybody opens app? apps to use voice assistants, right? I, yeah. I mean, I think that's correct. Nobody. Uh, the Google Assistant has terrible rankings in the iPhone App Store. Yeah, this is a true thing. Um, it's just more likely you're going to have the Amazon app. Of course, you're going to put it in there. It's Amazon's biggest fav- facing consumer brand is Alexa. Wait, they also have an Alexa app, don't they? There's yeah. like a separate Alexa app, and it doesn't have Alexa in it. It's just like for messaging or something, right? No, no, it's for controlling your Alexa stuff. 
right. you can't actually you talk like to that's Alexa. where you enable the skills and you line up and you name the devices and you put them on the Wi-Fi okay. network. So Alexa is in the Amazon app. Alexa settings are in the Alexa app. Yeah. Just like yeah. on the iPhone, insanely, settings are in the settings app, even though you are currently in another app with <laughs> which you would like to adjust the settings. Hmm. That makes sense. It does. Just go with me. All of this makes sense, Jake. <laughs> I'm with Jake. Yeah. None of it actually makes sense. <laughs> Everything should be in the same place, and that place is the Amazon app. What? The Amazon app? What about the Alexa the app? The Alexa app. It should be in the Alexa app. The Alexa yeah. app should be in the Amazon app. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and you're like done setting your Alexa. You're like, I need some more light bulbs. Push the button. And we need to unbundle all of this. There should be a light bulb app, washing machine app. All that sounds oh, like so you, so you just described HomeKit. <laughs> Brutal. Okay. Uh, Jake, I got you here. Hello. Whenever you're here, I make you talk oh, about reality. Oh, are we talking about, yeah. So Comcast, Comcast is a thing. Just try to walk people through the thing. Yes. Okay, so um, this was this week, the first round of net neutrality comments were due, and a bunch of companies filed their comments, including Comcast, the one that everyone was so excited to hear from. Comcast, by the way, <laughs> an investor in Vox Media, which owns The Verge. That's your disclosure. Yes. But just an investor. Um, They're just out there. Yes. Um, we took their money. Right? And I like to think that occasionally they read our site and regret it. It's more than occasionally. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. They always do regret it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Comcast filed its comment, and we were looking through it. You know, it's it's almost entirely exactly what you'd expect from Comcast. They're like, wow, net neutrality sure is horrible. It's just ruining our business. Things were great, and now they're terrible, and the internet's going to be ruined. And then at the same time, they're going, you know, but I, we would be so cool with these rules if only X, Y, and Z. Um, so at some point in their filing, we noticed that they're saying, you know, we actually like this no paid prioritization thing, except for like a couple things here and there. And they're like, well, one reason that you might want to allow paid prioritization is autonomous cars, um, because it might be really helpful for autonomous cars to have, you know, a prioritized internet connection because they need to get stuff really, really fast. And we thought that was like pretty interesting and weird. We'd never heard that claim before. Yeah, usually it's like health devices. Yeah, usually it's health devices. And you know what? That, that like certainly makes more sense because like if it's a pacemaker or something, you know, probably it should, you know uh, – you know, be be instant. Um, but autonomous cars we never heard before. Um, and uh, then uh, our transportation reporter, Andy Hawkins, uh, decided to look into it. And he found out that it uh, turns out autonomous cars don't talk to the Internet at all. So yeah. Comcast just threw this argument in there. And there's absolutely nothing behind it. Yeah. That, like either they're – they just said that like – hoping that one day the internet will be part of cars and this way they can make money off of it or they just like didn't pay any attention and put that in there because they thought it sounded nice. Well, the, the two points Andy made that I thought were interesting were autonomous cars need to talk to each other. They need to talk to mm -hmm. the infrastructure. But the FCC has set aside the entire 5.9 gigahertz band for that purpose. So there is like a whole separate mm -hmm. radio set of radio spectrum that is available just for the cars. So that's what you mean by they don't talk to the internet at all. They're yeah. happening on yeah, their own they network have their somewhere own else. Network. But, and this I, I think was really interesting, mobile carriers want that spectrum back because mobile carriers love having spectrum and they want to make it all the internet and mm -hmm. then have the car makers and cities pay to prioritize that information on the internet, which is, you ha like just 
use the thing that you have. And yeah. I think it's interesting because the FCC is so deep into – like Ajit Pai, to his credit, is very high in more unlicensed radio usage. So things like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got a whole band for unlicensed, ra- unlicensed radio usage where you'd expect all this inf- innovation and standards to happen. But the carriers are like, what if we don't do that? Yeah, I've been hearing for years, uh, you know, telecom companies being like, well, you know, what if we can like share this spectrum somehow? And I, I don't entirely know how that would work out. Um, but it definitely sounds like Comcast is hoping that one day they'll be able to get in on that. Um, well, I think this was last week. Microsoft announced for like the 500th time in the past decade that they're moving forward with their white space internet project. So it's this crazy idea where they will use computers to identify gaps in the like the TV spectrum and then send like super Wi-Fi over the gaps. And they, they've been in fights. I'm not even kidding. This, they've been at it for a decade. Like I wrote about white spaces and gadget a decade ago. And every year on the dot, Microsoft is like, we figured it out. Super Wi-Fi is here. And it, it never shows up, but it's a lot of plans along those lines. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, wait, why why is Microsoft doing that? Is it is it just because it like they just want to get more people connected? I think like, you know, it's like they got a guy on staff, it's everyone's friend. He brings the beer around on Fridays, and he's working on the white spaces. And I'm like, yeah, just keep going. I mean, it's cool. It sounds like a just good keep trucking, Tom. Plan. Like, <laughs> it's just doing it. I don't know. I, it's it's literally been a decade of Microsoft saying we can. Somehow, they there, we programmatically. There was something find about a gaps. billion dollars, and it sounds like maybe they just made up that number. Or no, maybe I mean I'm sure put some money toward that it. was like their news release. They're like okay. investing in it. They're gonna. But okay, a de- I'm just saying it's been a decade. So next year, I'm sure we'll talk about white spaces on the show again, and then for the rest of my life, I will get the white spaces press release. But that is the <laughs> the whole like. Mm-hmm. Spectrum sharing game. I is see. Like I see. You're built. looking for gaps and then going in where you can. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the whole Comcast thing, it was just like, this is the thing that keeps happening where we look at these arguments they're making. And on their face, they sound fairly reasonable, right? Autonomous cars. Yeah, they probably should be fast. And then you look into them and you go, well, this, the grounding here does not make a ton of sense. And we've been doing a ton of that stuff where, like, if you look at the claims about investment into uh, Internet infrastructure, if you look at... Um, the harms on small internet providers. This stuff just isn't quite holding up the way that they're... You just talked to a bunch of, like, literally mom-and-pop ISPs, right? Yeah, this is a big thing. I mean, in complete honesty, I I kept... Uh, so Ajit Pai kept talking about mom-and-pop ISPs, and I'm like, that's not possible. What's a mom-and-pop ISP that's made up? Um, but they're totally mom-and-pop ISPs. And, like, one, uh, one company I spoke with is literally just this guy and his daughter in Colorado, um, and they have, like, a 1,000 customers. Just, like, they set up these wireless things, and, like, their greatest struggle in life is trees, which get in the way of their signal. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up speaking with uh, a bunch of these companies to find out whether net neutrality had been hurting them or not. And it was super interesting because uh, half the ones I spoke with were like, no, what are you talking about? There's, like, literally been no harm. And the other ones were saying basically a lot of, like, hypotheticals. Um, they were worried about what could happen. And, you know, it's, like, a little over two years on, and, like, so far these harms haven't really come. There's one company that said they had spent, like, $40,000 to, like, come into compliance because they had to, like, write some open Internet statement um, 
just like uh, they they spent this on like legal counsel. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't a- anyone that had actually said they had really changed their plans or not made an investment. Um, the one big one, uh, Ajipai had actually cited this uh, one uh, woman's testimony. Uh, she she is in charge of the ISP Aristotle. And uh, she said that they were going to triple their subscriber base, um, but didn't because of the net neutrality rules. And um, it, it is true that they delayed their plans because they wanted to spend some money coming into compliance with net neutrality. But uh, they're now moving forward with those plans again. And they started that before the election, before they knew it was going to be overturned, which um, I think sort of goes to show that net neutrality is not just flat out killing this stuff, even for people who right out the gate were saying, this is going to be a problem. It's going to stop investment. So what happens next, right? He just got reconfirmed. Um, he just hearings. had his hearing. He's not exactly reconfirmed yet, I don't think. Um, but I think we've got another month about for the uh, net neutrality comment period. Now is the reply comment period. So now it's when the, the more heated arguments start, oh, yeah. I guess. The lawyers go crazy. So that's going to be fun. Um, it's not going to be fun. Um, <laughs> Poor <Jack. laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then it's sort of a, a, a waiting game where, uh, I mean, I think the FCC probably has a pretty good idea of what they want to put out for their final net neutrality proposal. But technically, they're supposed to take all of these comments into consideration. So it'll probably be at least a couple months as they look through these comments. There are like over 8 million comments. And That's by the way, way more than last time, right? Yeah, last time, I think it was like 3.4 million comments or something like that in total. And right now, this is we're at the halfway point. Yeah. And there are already more than twice as many comments. That's crazy. Is, is it all bots? Because the FCC is claiming it's all bots That's a stuff, really right? good question. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. But um, yeah, so they're going to have to somehow look through all of those. I don't know how you look through 8 million comments. I, they probably normally get like 10 comments. I read an insane <laughs> Reddit conspiracy theory today. Oh, yes. I read this today. And I'm just, I'm just letting around. you know it's a Reddit conspiracy theory uh, that the bot attack on the FCC came from inside the house because the FCC has not yet released an analysis. I think Gizmodo FOIA'd them um, to like ask about this hack that they claim had happened and they said so they didn't have any information on the hack. So then the Redditors, like, went nuts. Why would they have hacked themselves? So they can toss out all the comments. I mean, look, it's a Reddit conspiracy theory. <laughs> and as much as we give Pi crap on the show, I don't think that he set up, like, a rogue internal hacking operation at the FCC. Yeah, you can just ignore the comments. But anyways. if he did, <laughs> that would be cool. And I think Jason Bourne should punch him in the face. <laughs> because that is the plot of a Bourne movie. <laughs> Is it <laughs> comments on FCC pages? <laughs> no, it's it's inside the house. He's hacking the government from the inside. It doesn't matter what they're actually doing. What do the bad guy want I like in the idea any Bourne movie? movie about Just to a leave a great comment. for comments. <laughs> and Jason Bourne being like, we got to do something about I, this. I the only plot, the only thing the villain wants in a Jason Bourne movie is to create a government inside the government. Okay, fine. it's just layers of internal shadow government. The okay. goals of that government are never made clear. There's just a it's secret government and Bourne's got to punch it in the face. Huh? Yeah. To create more super agents. Yeah. Yeah. But that it's oh. never made clear what the purpose of those super agents are, <laughs> except to wake up and realize they should stop it. All right. Anyway. You got your book idea. Go for it. <laughs> Jason Bourne, the truth. <laughs>
right, I'm gonna read another. <laughs> this episode of the Virtcast also brought to you by Qualcomm Snapdragon Gigabit LTE. With download speeds of up to seven times faster than typical home Wi-Fi, Snapdragon Gigabit LTE can turbocharge all of your connected apps. You can stream 360-degree videos in 4K resolution with minimal buffering. You can access files in the cloud nearly as fast as you would if they were stored on your phone. And you can download hours of movies or music in a matter of seconds. To learn more, go to snapdragon.com gigabit today. Okay, Ashley. Yes. You are the designated representative of Circuit Breaker on the show today. Mm-hmm. Every week. You're here. <laughs> I'm always here. You Every do a week, segment. Same seat. Yep. Same place, same mm-hmm. time. You sit, has the same name. Yep. Let us know. So my segment, Let's Talk About Translucent Gadgets, oh is here once again. Yeah. Love this time. Um, you know, I got to be honest. It was kind of a slow gadget week. Yeah. But Tivoli Audio, hopefully I'm saying that right, uh, released a limited edition summer Bluetooth radio. It's clear. And it's translucent. Wow. It's cool looking, and it lights up inside. You can adjust the LED light. I don't know. I'm pretty into it. Is it like the old Game Boys? Yeah, it looks just like that. It's right, a, it's pretty cool. a white. It's not purple tinted. I had the purple one. Yeah, the purple one. Yeah. Um, but there's LEDs inside. The Game Boy didn't have LEDs yeah. inside. Right. This mm. one lights up. Do you adjust them with an app? I'm assuming yeah. there's an app. Yeah. That's what you want in your life. Um, so it's $200, which seems very expensive for a radio because who li- – and who even listens to the radio anymore? I don't it's know. A, it's like an internet radio. Is it like a Bluetooth speaker or is it an well, actual FM radio? You can pair radio? with it over Bluetooth, but it's an FM radio. So like you can play your Spotify or whatever. But this but is just a clear version that, of this yes, product. Yes, they already out. have re- – it's called the Pale, Pale BT Glow. Oh my God. The original is called the Pale BT. Okay. Pale spelled like pale? Like like P-A-L. Uh, pale. Not, not like a pale. Pale. Yeah. Pale. So there you have it. I'm pretty excited about translucent I feel gadgets. like this is like uh, for a summer, this is my segue into the Instagram stuff I want to talk about, but for like the summer party gram. Yes. Like holding the radio. Like I said in the, the piece, colors. I was like, this is for your outdoor deck. Yeah. So if you, please, Vergecast readers, if you... Uh, or listeners, I should say. <laughs> this is an Someone's audio reading experience. this transcript and they're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, if you buy this radio, let me know and send me a picture of it on your outdoor deck because I want a deck. No, you need the super stylish gram. Uh, send me the gram on the deck. Yeah, like walking down the I street. Want a deck. It's it's free. <laughs> I just got back from the Midwest. I saw backyards. <laughs> I miss that. I'm thinking rain slicked New York City streets. You got all the lights in the background, you're holding the radio up. It has a huge antenna, too. So, All right. There you have it. <laughs> All right. Here's another gadget that is back. Dieter, I know you're excited about this. Google Glass. So this story is two <laughs> years old. Yeah, I don't really they, know been, how this went down. So, well, we, What we Glass, know now is that the Enterprise edition of Glass is, in fact, newer hardware with a slightly better camera and slightly longer battery life and an actual red LED light in the front to show you that it's recording. And it is getting custom sold uh, with custom software in most cases to basically factories so that people can use it while they're, you know, assembling parts together. And Stephen Levy over at Back Channel or Wired, wherever he is, uh, the relationship between those two is still confusing, uh, has a really big, long feature. He went to a factory in Minnesota. um, And sure, it looks great. It seems like a very good use case for the thing that they made, but it has no effect on me or my life. Uh, yeah. The, the, there's no, they they maybe someday can take the stuff they put here and 
use it for actual AR stuff, but it seems like the make smart eyeglasses that show you things stuff, like the, the problems that glass solves are easy problems, right? It's have an operating system, display some stuff, connect to Wi-Fi if you need to, uh, have a battery, <laughs> have a yeah. screen. Like it doesn't solve the hard problem, which is make it look normal and make it feel socially appropriate, um, which is a problem that, uh, you know, the Snap Spectacles solved in a much, you know, better way than Google did with its Explorer program. Uh, so yeah. good on you for not completely destroying and spring cleaning the entire project away. But I, I guess I don't see this thing being, I don't know, I don't see this thing being anything outside of like particular things like doctors or factories. Am I crazy? Am I am I too much of a hater? I don't. I don't. No, think I so. think you're right. It's it's not an AR device. It's like they missed the window of this being yeah. useful, right? Yeah. It's a screen that floats in front of your eye, and you can ask it for things, but it's not looking at stuff and showing you more information about the stuff. And it feels right. like Google had they had that window, and they blew it basically because the product was not great, and now they're they're basically like saying you don't have to look at a laptop. The screen's in front of your eye. But the thing that's crazy to me about it is they were doing this two years ago. There's an NPR story from like two years ago. It's basically the same story. And the news this time is now more people, more companies can buy it, which I think is, I think it's Google trying to drive a press cycle around like, we've already got funky future helmets happening in this world. It's weird because this is supposed to be like a, almost like a happy ending or something for Glass. Like, look, we were able to make something out of it. But, but on some level, I feel like just any news about Google Glass is bad news. Like, I saw it, and I was just like, ah, that's, yeah, n- did not work out. Like, I, I, I don't know. Are, are they making money off of this? Why are they doing this? Like, is there a big enterprise business? I guess there were, like, I remember at CES a couple years ago, there were a handful of companies doing stuff like this. And I feel like... Maybe like Lenovo or something had one, and I f- th- these other ones might have been targeted like enterprise applications. I don't know. Maybe there is a market there or something. It's just not that. There, but there's like a few of these, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah. And that yeah. market is people who assemble things. Yeah. Like the number one use case is, do you make wiring harnesses? And the answer is, <laughs> some people do actually make those. Okay. There's a few more things I want to talk about. Speaking of weird glasses, you can now buy Snap Spectacles directly from Amazon. Snapchat added a bunch of new features. Are you? I'm just looking at you. You're my. You're like my Snapchat <laughs> guru. Are people still into spectacles? I haven't seen a spectacles video in a thousand mm. years. No, I don't think. so. I think it's seriously one of those things. Like, if you bought it, it's like, all right, cool. I'll take it on vacation with me if but, I remember to charge it. Yeah, but are you going to use it? Like, I just I don't see anybody using. Pretty sure thing. I saw a pair when I was at the Vatican recently. Yeah, I think <laughs> on vacation. What? I saw, okay. I saw some at Pitchfork Music Festival. Yeah. But that, it, that's okay. one pair. That's it. But seeing people with the hardware versus seeing the videos it's supposed to generate. I know. That's, that's what bothers you about this is you see them wearing it. Like you always bring up Sheffer, how yeah. he wears his but never posts it. Never. I never see any Spectacles video from Sam. Well, I think it's more like home videos. Like my friend took hers to Mexico with us and she recorded a lot of footage she just has the footage for herself. So in three years, we can look back and be like, hey, like, remember this funny moment or whatever. Where is it stored? Well, she keeps it on her phone, I So guess. she's just going to watch circle videos on her phone in three years? <laughs> I guess so. It's so weird. Yeah. Well, right, the whole that's thing where is we are. Me. Yeah, it's a circle. Okay, um, I don't know. Spectacles. I, say, I, need to, I need to buy a pair uh, just so I can say I own a pair. Should I get coral or should I get black? black. Coral. 
Uh-oh. Everyone has black. <laughs> it's because it's fashionable. All right. Um, yeah, new features, right? There's all leading, kinds of I'm new editing coral. in there. Uh, there's multi-snap recording, which is a hilarious way I to mean, describe being able to push the button more than once. Snapchat keeps adding such cool features and, like, their filters still even, just the AR stuff, is better than Instagram. Like, it's yeah. so obvious that Facebook's technology is just worse. Like, it is. Yeah. Um, Just from using it. But I don't know. I feel like Snapchat keeps creating these features and it's actually really hard to use them. Like, they're <laughs> really specific use cases and you have to know the app so well, which I guess is always what Snapchat's thing has been, is, like, you're a power user. You know how to actually use the app. Right. But, like, I don't know. It feels like they're just kind of stunting at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, look what we can do, Facebook. Eh, no one's actually going to use this, though. I mean, so we have these other two stories here about Instagram this week, and they're way deeper stories. So Casey had a big feature on how restaurants are now being designed to be Instagrammable, which if you – you should read the story, but if you scroll through it, there's like oh this depressing God. moment when there's like 45 pictures of the same tile floor in a restaurant on Instagram. That made me yeah, so I read it, sad. I read it on my phone, and it was just like – it it you if you see it on your desktop you're like oh okay there's there's a budge here but when you see it on your phone you just have to scroll through them and it really just by the time you get to the bottom you're just like well everything is terrible in the world <laughs> yeah no originality is left in this universe yeah um, and then uh, Megan uh, took a trip to L A and went to a, like a social media star summer camp where they teach teens to be good at social media, like to be influencers. It's a great story. Learn how to say like, make sure to like and subscribe at the end of this. (laughs) And share. What's up, you guys? (laughs) All right, try again. More feeling. Um, Yeah, they like did things about harassment. It was a summer camp for social media stars. Speaking of which, make sure to share this if you have enjoyed the... Yeah, Yeah, smash that like button, fam. (laughs) I I don't know what... (laughs) I'm really good at this. I don't don't know how this works. (laughs) Anyway, there was a line in that story. You should read that story. It's really good. Um, um, there's a line in that story where all the teens were like, my favorite platform is Instagram. Or like, they were going around the room. Those two things where Instagram is affecting like design choices in the real world and, you know, all the kids are saying Instagram is the best platform. That's the competition with Snapchat, right? And I think we've just hit a point where Instagram is so much more vital than almost any other social network that I'm on. And I can't really pinpoint why. Except it's happy. I mean, yeah, it's just pure positivity. There's like literally no other way to. to exp- I mean, you have to like really try pretty hard to express something that's other than neutral or positive. Yeah. And like, it just doesn't fit in if you're putting. I mean, I think that's it though, right? Like, I go to Instagram and I enjoy myself, and that is like something I can only say about Instagram. Right. Um. Even like. You know, e- even my favorite websites, like, there's going to be some depressing, like, news and not just, like, cool stuff. Well, also, uh, maybe the thing, too, is, like, I was going to say it's because, for us, we had Facebook. We, like, friended our high school friends. This is, you know, mm-hmm. we were in high school. And now my Facebook is just tainted. I'm like, Ugh. I don't care enough to delete all of you. Also, I just don't care what you're up to anyway, so I don't use Facebook. But the nice part about Instagram is, like, if someone follows me, I don't have to follow them back necessarily. Right. So it's like I'm only following the people I care about, plus it's the positivity. So you're able to actually curate, whereas Facebook, it's like, this is a mutual friendship and we must follow each other. No, that's terrible. Give me your thoughts real quick on Instagram Snapchat, because that's the real fight, I think. Well... It's just, I think they're very different. Like Instagram, like you said, with the design choices, it's like, 
Instagram is permanent and beautiful, and I love Instagram. Yeah. Snapchat's just fun. Like, I use Snapchat to interact with my best friends and make silly faces. Yeah. That's not, it's like a hard business for Snapchat to own. Like, all it is, but they're doing such cool stuff, and it's like, I don't know how to make them better. Are you going to watch the two minute NBC News news show that they're going to stick in Snapchat? I actually like the Discovery Channel. So you use it? Yeah, I like the Discovery Channel. So I just think it's fun. Like, Cosmos. I watch like Cosmo yeah. stuff that's yeah. like really stupid, but I'm like, hey, huh. this is enjoyable for me because I like stupid shit sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fine. I like it. I'm just saying yeah. it's it's also I think Snap Map is cool. I know there's all this privacy stuff, but that's impressive to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Instagram's not doing that stuff. I open my Snapchat, my Snap Map, and it's like all of my friends are at home with their kids. <laughs> well, that's what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it. it I think there's a peak. <laughs> like, you're like they're not having imp- adventures. Cool looking though, like with Bitmoji. Yeah, I don't know. Bitmoji's like a real thing. Yeah, that was a good purchase by them. Okay, I want to talk about Apple Patent stuff, but we're out of time, and it's quite frankly very boring and confusing. <laughs> it just is. Global what you need to know is Foxconn is now suing Qualcomm too, huh? Yeah, you have to give us two sentences on it. I think it is so counterintuitive that Apple buys phones from Foxconn. It is just not how you expect that business to work. Apple buys the iPhones from Foxconn. So now Foxconn is suing Qualcomm, too. And there's something crazy happening in there. And I hope Sarah Jong, our new reporter, can help me figure it out because I have yet to understand it completely. But Foxconn is now suing Qualcomm, too. At the end of this, there might not be a Qualcomm is basically my final thing, but we'll figure it out. Okay, that's it. That's the show. <laughs> wow, ways to leave it on that note. We'll see. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Or there might still be a Qualcomm. You never know. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Um, yeah, everyone's favorite. Uh, it's funny because I read a Qualcomm ad on this show just now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those are different things. Those are different people. That was another. That was an AI. Um, <laughs> disclosure: I read a Qualcomm ad on this show. <laughs> you may have noticed. <laughs> uh, okay, that's the show. Please go watch Next Level with Lauren Good. Uh, Lauren also hosts a great show called Too Embarrassed to Ask, which you can listen to on uh, basically anywhere podcasts are. Uh, you can listen to other Recode podcasts. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media, which is my favorite because I'm a media nerd. All that is available on iTunes. Find it, rate it, review it. Uh, we're doing fun stuff on Anchor. Go to anchor.fm slash verge. You can listen to little experiments that our people are doing. We ran one last week that Ashley had done. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, how nice. Yeah, it's good. Um, and you can tweet at us. I am at Reckless. Theater at Backlon. Jake. Jake underscore K. Ashley. Ashley R. Carmen. And we'll be back next week with more Vergecast, the show. Thanks, everybody. Rock and roll. Paul. I'm just saying all the things myself. Orbis. God. God.